0: This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code TheCandardFrame at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. Over the past year, I've been teaching online workshops that focus on people using their own lives, their own experiences to create a body of work. Though turning a lens on yourself and your life invites anxiety and insecurity, I've witnessed amazing photographs being created. There is a raw genuineness that the best of this work possesses, despite the fact that it may not follow all the traditional rules of photography. The choice to reveal the deepest and truest part of yourself in photos is powerful and liberating. This is what I like about the work of Chanel Rojas whose self-portraits allow her to constantly examine the many facets of what make her a human being. Beyond the confines of titles such as woman, black, wife, or mother, her work comes from a personal and intimate place, resulting in photographs that are both beautiful and honest. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, thank you for making time for me.
1: My pleasure, my pleasure. I have my daughter in the room, um, so hopefully she doesn't try to ask me any questions during this. But
0: well, it's okay. I've had more distractions on the show than a small child, so I think we can deal with it. Cool, cool. See, your work is really interesting because it's it. You've done in a very rel- relatively short amount of time. You've got a lot. You've kept yourself busy.
1: Yeah, I guess I do a lot. Of, like. I just do a lot of self-portraits. There's not a whole lot of other things to shoot right now. So,
0: Well, even before that, you know, the stuff that you're doing with the birth photographs and other projects that you've had. It's like, and you got three kids. just two boys and a girl? Yes. You're busy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. But. It helps that I'm not alone. So, you know, my husband took the boys outside, but my daughter is kind of in trouble right now. So she has to stay inside oh, with me. okay. So I don't know.
0: And I was reading that it was your, your husband while he was uh, out and um, he was in the military and he was stationed out in Afghanistan gave you your, your camera. Mm-hmm. And what was the idea of giving you the camera just to sort of give you something to keep you creatively occupied? What was that about?
1: No, I actually wasn't even really into photography at all when I first got my first DSLR camera. What happened was I used to take like self-portraits for him while he was deployed Uh Um, and pictures of our son at the time. He was like a pretty small little baby. My husband was gone for like nine out of the first 12 months of his life. It was more so to take pictures of him and myself so that he can get pictures while he was overseas and not necessarily for me to do any work. But once he spent money on it, he was like, yeah, maybe you should like, try to make this a thing so we can get some of this money
0: back <laughs> <laughs> so I thinking, thinking from a practical point of view I get right that. exactly so when when did these self portraits start turning into something that you know you were just doing for your family and that started having more you know more weight to them
1: um that's a good question I feel like I started kind of doing a little bit more creative type stuff when we were living in Colorado. So probably like 2013, Mm 2014-ish. I did one where it was like planting a seed or something like that. And it was like, I had like dirt in my hands and a cloud over the thing. And it had like a little sprout that I had attempted to grow, which died. I'm actually not very great at plants. I love them, but they don't last very long. But it was just trying to give that, feeling of like what we water it will grow type thing Mm -hmm. and uh, around the same time I did a really deep self-portrait I guess you could say my husband came home one day and he was like what are you doing because I had moved all the furniture in the living room I just had this one orange chair in there and there was pieces of magazine like all over the floor and a piece hanging from the ceiling he was like I just hope you clean that up afterwards <laughs> <laughs>
2: because <laughs>
1: it looks like a lot of mess. I don't like. I got it. I got it. It's fine. But what it was was I was doing a a, a self portrait called "False Ideal," and it was basically to portray the amount of like false ideals that are portrayed to us in you know mainstream media and. Mm-hmm commercials and stuff like that as to what we should be and just how it's like just bombarded at us i guess you could say um and it i don't know i have to find a picture because when you see it you're like oh okay yeah i get it because you can't see my face you just see like this piece of magazine and all this news all these magazine clippings everywhere so was one of my first real ones that was like, okay, yeah, maybe I might be onto something, but I do do a lot of like, <laughs> not creative stuff too. I just, sometimes I'm just like, I just feel like, I don't know. I'm feeling myself today. So I'll just go take a picture. So there's that.
0: Yeah. Cause that's one of the things I want, wanted to ask you about is, is cause it seems like fairly early on in terms of you taking yourself portraiture into, into not just conceptual work, but things that had an, you know, that had a very strong idea, because mm-hmm. you know, so much of what we see, that I see, there's a good percentage of it that seems to be inspired more by vanity, being sort mm-hmm. of creating an illusion of self, mm-hmm. than there are other ones that are so much more conceptual in terms of. The, the The setup, the costuming, and then there's work like like yours that I've seen in several of your images where you're really thinking about addressing you know ideas of uh, you know uh, uh, of race, identity, of you know motherhood, sexuality, you know uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't immediately come 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 to a lot of people who end up picking a camera and using themselves a, as a subject. Where were you taking the inspiration to? do that were you taking a cue from work that you had seen elsewhere or did that just was that just the direction you naturally started expressing yourself in
1: once i started doing more of my identity type work it was kind of after i decided that i am black you know what i mean And, and it was weird to say right but growing up as a trinidadian born i guess you could say now american because that's Mm -hmm. where i grew up was in america i never considered myself black until i became like a late high schooler um is when i was like yeah i actually i'm i'm black i always used to consider myself as trinidadian and that was it and that was like apparently in my head for a long time it couldn't be i couldn't be a black trinidadian you know what i mean and it was after i kind of like realized that and it was more so embracing it in my mid 20s i guess you could say that's kind of when i started using that knowledge and my voice and my art to kind of speak out more about the things that kind of impact me directly and impact my kids and my husband a lot of the a lot of the work it comes from like feelings and thoughts in my head. You know what I mean? I might get inspired by something or, but for most of the part, it's coming from whatever is going on in here.
0: Yeah. No, but I could, your statement in terms of filing, you know, making the decision to sort of identify as black. I completely get, Um, my parents are from Dominican Republic. So we got Mm -hmm. those same Caribbean roots. And, you know, when I was coming up, I didn't identify as african-american because i didn't have that legacy of that history Mm -hmm. right so it's just like well i'm not that and (laughs) i'm not mexican yeah and those like were the two options that you had on the list you know when they were asked are you black you white you mexican you other
2: i got
1: asked if i was was haitian and i was like what even is that like when i was like in Mm. like fifth sixth grade i didn't even know what haitian was i'm like i just know i'm trinidadian i don't know i don't think i'm haitian i don't know what that is (laughs) yeah <laughs> that was my novice mind like but it's so weird growing up like down here race i guess you could say isn't so much of an issue i mean it is but it isn't would, at the same you, time you know,
0: by, by where, where i'm are in you?
1: trinidad currently okay right now we're probably going to be leaving here soon i've been here for the past year and some change uh Just wanted my kids to kind of like be able to experience where I was born. And we have a lot of family out here. So that was a big thing to kind of have them exposed to half of their culture, you know. So we moved on here. But being here, it's so night and day from in the States. Here, you'll be hard pressed to see somebody who looks white. Yeah. Which is like mind blowing. (laughs) For somebody who grew up in like a more suburban county of Florida, it's it's a stark difference between what you
0: see. How old were you when you left Trinidad and first came to the United States?
1: I think I was like three or four when we left Trinidad, but we didn't come to the States directly because my dad was also military. So we went to Germany first. It was just easier for us to be able to get to Germany Versus the states at that time, I was like three or four when we left, and I made it to the states. I had grew up in Florida from the time I was in like first grade all the way till when I got married. then I left Florida for a couple years and came back and then we ended up here. so
0: So when you said you you, you finally sort of identified as as black in whatever form that you felt was was appropriate for you, how did that start? shaping the work that you created when you were doing the self portraits, how would you say you approached the way you saw yourself in the photographs?
1: <laughs> a lot of it was very much geared toward being black and being proud to be black. Mm-hmm. Back when I had my fro, which sometimes they mits, but I have locks now, so it's a little bit different. But back when I had a fro, I'd pick it out as big as I can and like, you know, those days. the power fist and everything. Like sometimes I look back at the pictures like, man, I just I was embracing what is me. I was at the point where I stopped straightening my hair. I stopped coloring my hair because I would try to get like bleach blonde hair and all that kind of stuff. And basically doing things to give myself a more Eurocentric type. Mm -hmm. view and when I stopped doing that just really just embracing who I am and my culture and just like because I yes I'm Trinidadian but I grew up as a black American so it's like it's a really interesting dynamic because we had a certain way things were done at home that also kind of spilled into when I talked to my husband he is half under and half black but some of the stuff that his mom used to say to him growing up is the same kind of stuff that my mom used to say to me. And he grew up in Chicago and I grew up in Florida and it's like completely different backgrounds. His mom is black and he, that's who he spent most of his time with. So it was just like, I found it so interesting the dynamics, like though we like came from these two different cultures, like somehow we ended up having very similar type yeah. upbrings? Yeah. Sorry. I go off on tangents sometimes. No, that's I fine. Like, forget the question, but.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. Cause I'm just trying to, you know, I'm really trying to get it sort of a, a, a an understanding about where you come, we're coming from personally.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and especially when it comes to artists that are doing self portraiture and they're, and they're exploring issues of race. it's easy to think it's all monolithic. You know mm-hmm. but everyone's sort of coming from the from the from the same place and they're, they're yeah. talking about race and identity and stuff like that and it's like no it's not always the
1: yeah the it's same a-
0: thing even though they may share you know variations of the same skin tone and mm-hmm. especially you know because you were born in trinidad and as a result of your family sort of moving around uh i'm, I'm going to assume that you didn't have you didn't move to the united states into a community where there are a lot of other people from trinidad <laughs> no. right so you were always like sort of the odd woman out regardless of where you were so
1: i had to lose my accent really early on um to kind of blend in with Mm -hmm. the other children otherwise i get made fun of for saying things differently we lived a good portion of my life living on a military base so i i got to experience that life without all the moving around because my dad used to he would re-enlist to stay at the base that we were at in Florida. So I got to see all my friends leave and get to go places like Italy and Hawaii and like just Japan, all these cool places. And I'm stuck here. I'm like, I I feel (laughs) gypped. So now here we are as adults. Here I am as an adult and our current, our goal, you know, despite, COVID and everything that's happening with that is to kind of allow our kids a chance to experience the world. So when we leave here, um, our next stop is supposed to be Puerto Rico. We're not sure for how long. My dad currently lives there. Costa Rica is on the list somewhere. You know, like we have Honduras. We want to like travel across the states, but not right now because
0: yeah yeah stay away as long as you can yeah
1: (laughs) try to avoid the states
0: if at all possible so so when did you start taking these skills that you were developing from doing these self-portraits and and do as your husband suggested to see if you can actually earn some money from this thing
1: almost right away actually terribly i started taking pictures of people like within a couple months of actually getting my first dslr camera okay I wasn't very good at it. I was okay, but I was one of those who charged charge like 50 bucks and you get all your pictures on a CD. Mm-hmm. I was one of those. But this was like 2010, <laughs> so I've grown a lot since then. But yeah, I started taking pictures of everything except for weddings. I found my passion was more towards boudoir and birth. So I actually went through a phase – for a couple of years when we were living in Colorado and I didn't have any family around to watch my kids. So doing birth photography was not an option for me. I focused on boudoir, had a little studio and everything like that in our basement. And then when we moved back to Florida, when I was near family, I switched back to births because I could just drop my kids off at my mom's yeah. <laughs> and keep it going. But since moving here to Trinidad, I stopped doing that because I don't feel like like I I have learned what I'm worth and I'm not willing to waver that regardless of where I'm at. So just because I'm here, I know that I am worth like a set amount and the people here are not willing to pay that because birth photography isn't really a thing. So I was like, I'm just going to take a break and not be on call. So I haven't done any births in like over a year and it's just been mainly self portraits and taking pictures of my kids. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I taking pictures of birth, uh, it seems like an amazing experience. I have not had the privilege that I I don't have kids. So I, I wasn't there to witness Mm -hmm. a child's birth. But whenever I see the photographs, I'm always very moved by it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I know it's a very, very sort of spiritual moving thing for you. Tell me about, you know, while you were doing it, why it was such such a, an important part of your development.
1: I kind of went through a, so rewinding a little bit further.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With my first son, I wanted to have like, water birth at a birth center i don't even know why i wanted to i just wanted to but my husband had rejoined the military and he was getting shipped off like a couple days after his my son's due date and it was our first kid i was like i don't want to do this by myself so at the very last minute i changed my birth plan and decided to go to a hospital and get induced that induction ended up like my water ended up breaking on its own instead of going to the birth center, where I could have gone, um, I still went to the hospital. And there I got epidural and all that kind of stuff. I ended up losing consciousness consciousness because the the anesthesiologist had to stab me in my back like three times in order to place the (sighs) epidural the right way. So ever since then, I've been having back pain and I have regrets. I'm like, uh, I should have just did the the, the water birth like I wanted to because I feel like that would have changed the course of how my second and third pregnancies, you know, went and how I chose to birth. It wasn't until after I had my daughter that I really, really dived into doing birth as like my main niche. And it just opened my eyes to all of the disparities that women face and particularly black women face in the birth birthing industry i my goal with documenting births was to just kind of show people that there are other options out there
2: mm-hmm.
1: for them so i was a really big advocate for people of color specifically black women getting their birth documenting and documented and sharing those birth stories so that other people could then see that You know, they have other options besides just going to the hospital, getting a C-section, getting an epidural and just listening to whatever the doctors say, just because they think the doctors are always right. Like, because they're not hand.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Black women are dying at three to four times the rate of white women and like other races in a hospital setting. We need to know that there are other options out there for us. Other options that can possibly be safer, especially if you're low risk have your baby at home or at a birth center with minimal interventions you know what i mean yeah that's something i'm like
0: no because i've learned how important it is to to for having an advocate when it comes to being to dealing with the doctors and dealing with being at the hospital
2: Mm -hmm. you know
0: especially when it comes to people of color that their pain and the discomfort is so easily dismissed Mm -hmm. you know and uh it it results in people you know
2: Actually, your eyes experiencing, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. And I know when my wife was having issues, I was just like, I was there just like pushing.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's just like, no, mm-hmm. you, you're going to explain things. You're going to not, because, you know, I could get into a long discussion of that, but I don't want to take them all, all, yeah. all the time. But, you know, yeah, I completely get it. And having, and I think there's something very empowering from seeing images of people that look like you.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: giving Giving birth, you know, naturally, but or just giving birth. Period. Right. When a large part of the imagery out there isn't is reflective white. of you. Yeah. They're white
1: people. Like, I feel like my voice, especially when it came to the birth industry and stuff like that, it actually became a thing. Like, people actually started listening. I feel like to what I had to say back in like two thousand and I want to say it was like maybe seventeen
2: mm-hmm.
1: or so when I decided that I was going to change my logo. I I bring up my husband a lot because he's like, he's in my circle of influence, you can say. And he does have a lot of input when I do certain things, like whether it be good or bad. But I remember I designed logos as well. So I was like, my business name was Dear Little One. And my husband really liked the logo that I had. He was like, yeah, that's marketable. You could put that on like, you know, shirts and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, cool. But after a while, I didn't like the logo anymore. It was just text. I said, dear little one. It had a little watercolor splash behind it. It was like this kind of whack. And I feel like um, that was when I was like really coming into myself. I was like, I feel like I want this logo to represent me. So I actually changed my logo to a black woman holding a baby, which is not very often that you see like black people in logos especially in the photography industry like you don't mm. really see that so like yeah that's what I want to do and I told him and he was like I don't he's like I like the logo but I don't know if that's going to be a good idea because you're going to like alienate <laughs> most of the people that hire you for births and I'm like I don't care like if they don't like it then <laughs> they shouldn't be working with me anyways because if this person in this logo represents me if they have a problem with." The logo, then they're going to have a problem with me and they probably shouldn't be working with me anyways. And he's just like, oh, okay, well, do what you're going to do. You're going to do it anyways. I'm like, yep. And I did. <laughs> and that was one of the few times because <laughs> a lot of times he's right. But that was one of the few times he had to eat his words because after I changed my logo and I told people my why, why it changed to what it did that just kind of like propelled me into like a spotlight that I actually wasn't quite ready for. Wow. I was like, okay. And then I started booking more births simply. And I felt like it was simply because I decided to stand in my truth and like, you know, just speak up for what I believed in regardless of whose feathers got ruffled. I, I don't know. It was a very empowering time. I've kind of simmered down a little bit. Lately, like a little bit. Just a little bit. I I've just I've kind of shifted focus. Not really away from like activism type stuff, but just there's I feel I almost feel like there's so many people, like enough people out there telling you that black lives matter. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That like you see me, (laughs) you see my page. You see, I'm very unapologetically, like, I am black and I don't care. Um, I don't need to go around continually saying that black lives matter for you to see that I'm showing you Yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like, because I've been saying it before. It was cool to say, <laughs> like.
0: Though we periodically receive interest from businesses who wish to advertise on the show, we decline most of them. It's often because it's obvious that they've never listened to the show and know what we're about, or it's a product or service that I don't feel comfortable attaching our name to. I made the choice a while ago to only work with businesses that get what's special about us and our audience. Charcoal Book Club is an ideal fit for us because they are as much a fan of the work we do as we are of theirs. The photographers and the books they offer to their subscribers are some of the best work being produced today at a reasonable and affordable price point. And when you support charcoal, you are supporting the work we do here at TCF. Charcoal Book Club curates and offers books from great contemporary photographers. And when you become a member, each month you'll receive a copy of a new book and a collectible print to add to your collection. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., subsidized elsewhere. And if you're not feeling that month's selection, that's okay. You can swap it out for a different one of similar value. Visit their website to see what they've offered in the past and what you have to look forward to. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today and remember to use the code TheCandorFrame at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. And thanks to the many of you who support The Candor Frame financially each month, your contributions have helped us so much over the past year during a very challenging time. It's financial contributions like yours that have allowed us to improve the show over these many years and provided me the needed time to research each guest and make each interview a unique experience. So if you appreciate what we're doing, you can come on board as a Patreon supporter today. You can do that with contributions of $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. Just $5 a month makes a huge difference. Thank you, as always, for your support. So what do you think that you're you're exploring now? Is it more... Intimate explorations of just you as just a human being, as a, a as a woman. What is it that you think that you're examining that when you when you you know make your photograph?
1: I feel like lately, I, especially this year. So this year, I started a project fifty two, right? And I decided to build a group and <laughs> invite other people to join me in this this project. We've been having weekly themes. And I've decided to kind of step into more of a creative realm, kind of like what I used to do back in like 2013, 2014, where I did more creative type edits, where I just kind of made things look as if they, I don't know, like the cloud thing that I had told you about with the uh plan. I had a cloud or whatever, but I've been kind of exploring more creative type stuff. So I started a Zodiac project recently I'm on Pisces, I guess is next. Yes. So I'm, doing okay. more, <laughs> I'm doing more I'm doing more creative edits and just kind of figuring out ways that I can kind of stretch my creativity and take my self portraits to another level. You know what I mean? So I know how to do really cool perspectives. I know how to get really good glamour and portrait shots. I've been through the whole boudoir phase anytime my husband has been deployed i go through a whole boudoir phase was mostly that kind of photos that i take that nobody ever really sees (laughs) and right now i feel like 2021 i've been on this like kind of journey of just creativity and just allowing these ideas in my head to kind of flow out and just be like reality Mm. so it's been interesting so far I've been consistent. When you
0: when, when you have an idea, do you, are you are you sketching them out? Do you just start, you know, improvising, putting pieces, get, getting different elements together, and then experimenting? What does it look like?
1: So I do tend to sketch things out. I actually have stuff sketched out in this little notebook that I have, um, and it's usually I sketch it out like the day before I'm going to do it or the day of, so that I have an idea as to how I need to pose, how I need to. Um, how I might need to light it, what kind of elements I'm going to need. But so if you have a plan, then it makes the process run so much smoother. Mm-hmm. Um, so all you got to do is just execute the plan. Sometimes I have to pivot a little bit because some things may not work as, as or the way I thought it would. Um, but drawing things out have, has been really, really helpful and really efficient for me. As of late, especially, but in the past, if I have an idea, I might just write down like the thought, yeah, you know, so I could come back to it later when i I don't have any ideas and like, oh yeah, maybe I can do that the The hardest thing is being consistent. I was telling my husband earlier because today I decided I was going to take three different kinds of self portraits, and my my struggle is gonna be not posting them all. At one time, or as soon as I finish editing them, you got to try to space it out. <laughs> um, uh, because when I, when I finish a, a photo or a series, I get excited and I just want to share it. So I'm like an oversharer, I guess.
0: And that's a big, that's a big part of, of these images in terms of being sh- shared. When you first started putting them out there, did you have any reluctance about putting them out there considering how personal they were at first?
1: Okay. Yeah, so I was not reluctant to share. I felt like that's part of that's part of the fun, I guess for me with the self-portraits because a lot of times when I take self-portraits, they're typically because maybe I haven't been feeling really good about myself and I need a little bit more reassurance. Mm-hmm. So I guess you could say it's a little it's a little bit vain in a sense. But I'm saying that also to point out that A lot more people have body image issues and self-esteem issues than, you know, people realize. Like, I think people assume just because you think somebody is attractive that they must feel amazing about themselves all the time. It's like, that's not the case. And actually, a lot of times when I was taking self-portraits in the past, it's because I was having, like, low periods so sharing the images, whether it be publicly or in private groups or whatever, just to get a little bit of feedback, it was always like, oh, okay, good. Like, I guess I still got it, you know, like,
2: <laughs> help, me, help me feel better about myself
1: because right now I'm not really feeling like I deserve to be around here. So um, sharing has never been really an issue for me outside of like the boudoir stuff just because, you know, my husband is, can be territorial when he wants to be. So <laughs> it's like, why are you sharing that with other people? That's just for me, you know? And then he doesn't want the pictures because I share it with everybody else. So I had to be careful with that. But that was the only, the only genre that really doesn't, people don't really see much of. Yeah. Every other kind, it's out there and I get excited to share it. It's not something that makes me nervous. I'm more nervous when I'm showing clients their stuff than I am sharing my own work you know what I mean so
0: oh yeah I know very (laughs) I know how that feels Mm -hmm. so but tell me about the reactions that you would hear from women who would see your your photographs what were you so how were you surprised by some of the reactions you received when you were putting your work out there and you were getting feedback that was not just about oh it's a good photograph Mm
2: -hmm.
1: mostly from women it has always been very, like, positive, like, body positive and stuff like that. It's like, oh, my gosh, you're so beautiful, this and that. I would get sometimes how people would, and it would just make me sad, that they would, like, kind of take shots at themselves when they're trying to, like, comment on my photo, where it's like, oh, if I were to do that, then I would look like X, Y, Z. And it's like, you could just try it. You know what I mean? Like it just feels good to like just do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, when I share pictures, I do appreciate the comments and stuff like that. But first and foremost, I do, I do it for myself because in the moment of actually taking the pictures, it really does help to like boost the confidence and boost like when like, I don't know, just boost how you feel about yourself when you get the, the picture up on the computer. Like, okay, okay. I don't know. It's just like the whole experience is just, it's really hard to describe in a way that I feel like that makes sense, but it's just very no. empowering.
0: Yeah. I, I completely get it. Cause you know, I have just like everybody else, I've always had body issues mm-hmm. and I think it was in college that I did a series of nudes and it was in, I think what, what, uh, served as the impetus. It's just I was just so tired of, of of not liking what I look like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And so I didn't have digital, and you know I just like got put a roll of film in the camera and just mm-hmm. did a variety of different poses, and you know, and I still got them somewhere around here, you know. And it was just like, and at that moment, it just felt like. I just didn't want to be ashamed anymore. Right. And so just as a result of making the photographs, even if I didn't share them or post them or do anything like that, it was just the act of just saying, I'm not going to let these feelings sort of dictate um, what I can and can't can't do or how I should or can't show myself. I'm trying to do a series of self-portraits right now. It brings up a lot of the sort of same issues, not so much body issues, but you know, just issues in terms of how I look in front of the camera,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, in terms of, yeah. Yeah. in in terms of just sort of, because for the images, for the images in order to work, I have to let go of of a good amount of control Mm -hmm. that, that I have to, I got to allow myself to be ugly if I need to for, for, for for the images in terms of my Mm -hmm. expression and my body language in order for it to work. And so it's like, it's, it's, it can be a lot to surmount when you're turning the camera on yourself because you know all your issues.
1: Yeah, this is true. I know how to pose myself so that you don't see my flaws. You know?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's basically what it boils down to. I would say this, especially for those who like dabble or like shoot boudoir, taking self-portraits, especially mm. of yourself in a more vulnerable state, like you would your clients, it definitely puts things into perspective and kind of gives you, you know, that insight as to what your clients might be feeling during a boudoir session. So yeah, it's all about being vulnerable and just kind of putting yourself out there.
0: So do do you think that, because it seems like all the work that you're doing, whether it's your own self portraits, whether it was the boudoir, whether it was the birthing photographs, that it's all all about vu- vulnerability, you know, because you're photographing yourself and these other people at the what at their most vulnerable moments,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that seems to be like the the through line for for all your work
1: it is, isn't it? I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. I guess I might have a thing for the vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> Like let's just put all of your stuff out there. Let's
2: just do that. <laughs>
1: But you should like totally join the the self portrait group though because it we talk more than just about self portraits. I try to drop little nuggets in there and just kind of like be encouraging and it has so many people in there who like don't even know where to start. Um, yeah. They're just like I, I'm interested in learning to do sub portraits, and I'm just here. I don't know what to do. You know, we have weekly challenges and prizes because I was like, we got to figure out a way to get more people involved. We can't be having like three people contributing to this weekly project. But it's it's really good. It's really good. You should join us.
0: So, yeah, I'll, get get me the info. And I'll, I'll I'll see about. Yeah, but but tell me about. You know, the fact that you, you do this, you know, on a fairly regular and consistent basis, do those feelings still come up, even though you've produced so much work? And, and how do you surmount them when they do?
2: Um,
1: They do sometimes. And when they do, like, for instance, for De- December, I took maybe like one set of self-portraits for the whole of December. And it was at the beginning of the month because I just was not like my heart wasn't in it. This. I don't know. And I don't like uh, now, especially since I've been doing this weekly project and since I'm leading it, I feel like I'm obligated to actually like produce things every week. I just kind of go by what I'm feeling that day, how I lay out my schedule because I do homeschool. I do have logo clients and manage a house and do myself portraits and all this other stuff. Because I do all that, I have specific days of the week where I don't take on any client work. I do, I work on things for myself. Mm. I'm like, I literally really only take clients on like Tuesdays and Thursdays and Friday mornings because I enjoy my weekends. (laughs) I feel like it's important to have a, a day off in the middle of the week. I don't know. So I have five out of seven days in a week to feel somewhat motivated to take a picture you know, and if I don't, especially now that I have this project that I'm leading, it's like, well, you need to figure it out. You need to do something. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta push through the feelings and just, just produce. And maybe it won't come out good. I've had pictures that I'm like, I just wasted a few hours of my life
2: trying yeah. to do this.
1: <laughs> I don't even like none of these, and then they don't see the light of day at all. You know, but the fact that I took the time to actually do them. It at least sparked a little bit of creativity where maybe I was struggling.
0: One of the things I, I, I found that you did is you had a series of presets mm-hmm. that you had had designed primarily for people uh, who were working and processing images of people of color. Yes, you know, and I, I that was the first time I had seen anything like that because I, I really were aware that in filmmaking uh, there's a whole issue in terms of cinematographers and not knowing how to light. Black skin. Yes. And but I never had seen anything of that discussed in terms of processing
2: mm-hmm.
0: photographs of people with black skin. And and also when you're dealing with um multiracial couples where the skin tone can vary very widely. Yeah. Very, um, very widely. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because I th- I thought that was great and really fascinating.
1: Yeah. So um in my line of work, I dealt with a lot of families and a lot of families in, like you said, vulnerable positions. A lot of mixed race families, and um, I'd buy all these presets, and they all made the pe- like people who look like me their skin look either like green or magenta or washed out. Like it, all these presets were made with white models, and you could tell, you know, like white images as the the base to create mm-hmm. these, these presets. And you can tell because they don't always work good on darker skin tones. So I just decided that I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the darker skin tones when I was creating the presets and the beauty of doing that. And this is like super profound, I guess, because the beauty of focusing on people of color, beauty of focusing on the darker skin tones is when you fix those, when you, you know, give those the extra attention that they need, it automatically works well for the lighter skin tones too. So (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that was something that I was like, okay, so really, we should have been doing this all along, we should have been focusing on the melanin, and then everything else just kind of falls into place. So that was fun
0: it was a lot of work by the way. I I can only imagine. I saw how many presets you had in there. It's like, that's a lot of time.
1: That's a lot of work. And then I had to do a video for it too. I was like, do I have to, do I have to do a video? I didn't want to, but um, yeah, the presets are on Meridian part of looks like film. And it's really cool being able to partner with them and put something out there to a crowd of people who might not realize that they might have an editing problem. So.
0: That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to check out and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why?
1: Oh, this is so hard because I have, like, a couple people in my head, like, right off the bat. Um, so I guess I'll just say the first person in my head is going to be Tony Black. She does self-portraits as well, but she is an intimate photographer. She is very outspoken, and um, it's something about her energy that just kind of, like, makes you want to, like, rock with her, <laughs> like... Mm. So I, I definitely feel like she would be a good person to have on your show. Cool. And, and on top of that, of course, her work is beautiful as well. So, but just her soul is just somebody you need to like have in your life.
0: So. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Well, Chanel, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, having a chance to talk with you.
1: Yes. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Sorry, if I'm a little weird sometimes.
0: <laughs> weird <laughs> is good.
1: Weird is good. I don't talk good. to like other like adults very often. So when I do, I'm like, <laughs> what do I do? Like, what do I say? How do I act? Did I even answer your question?
0: <laughs> Thanks to Chanel for joining us. Find out more about Chanel and her work by visiting her website at chanelrobe.com. And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated on all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort, or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Kathleen Dreyer and Juan Rodriguez for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of eBooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartinTaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin MacLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Iberian X, and this is the Candid Frame.